It's so good to see each and every one of you this morning. My name is Jordan, and I have the great privilege of serving on the pastoral team here at the gate um, under our senior pastor, Pastor Kathy Miller, and I serve alongside a wonderful team of couples and individuals who that uh, we've dedicated our lives to accomplishing what we feel the mission, the calling of the gate church is. And so uh, it's a privilege and an honor for me to be here with you today. I have some important information for you that you need to know. So look at your neighbor and tell him, say, listen up, Chuck. Samuel would be proud. My son says that to me all the time. He got that from some movie. Okay, so here's item number one. Say item number one. Today is our back to school Sunday. And so directly behind me through this wall is our children's area. And that is the place where we're giving away backpacks. And I believe there may be some school supplies in those backpacks that we're giving away, uh, giving to gate kids. And so you need to make sure that as you go to get your young one, or if you have maybe a child that needs something like that, then you need to go to the gate kids area after service directly behind me through this wall so you can get there through the hallways. So, so that was item number one. Look at your neighbor and say, say, item number two. So here's what we need you to do today. We need your help. How many, I don't know about you, but I learned in 2020 that teachers are basically angels. Because when my kids were at home all those months and I was trying to educate them myself, I'm just barely educated, okay? And so me trying to educate them did not go well. And so I, when I saw the kids go back to school, I was like wanting to wash the feet of the teachers like Jesus did the disciples, like we love you, oh my gosh, you're so cherished. And so I'm being a bit comical, but that is a reality for us here at the Gate Church. We love and value uh, educational professionals in our cities. And so here's something that we need you to do that's very simple and practical. When you go through these double doors out the main uh, aisle here, just outside those doors, there's going to be a station where you can write a thank you note to teachers. And we're going to take those notes and we're going to distribute them to teachers and let them know that at 7700 at the Gate Church, teachers are loved, valued, and appreciated. I don't know about you, but I think that will be tremendous going into the fall 21 school year. All right, that was item number two. Item number three. Look at your neighbor. Say item number three. And just by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to tell me and Pastor Kathy if you don't go sign a teacher's note. And I'm looking at some of you, and I have your email addresses and your home addresses. Right. Item number three, on August the 27th, say August 27th, we, us, me, you, are going to be delivering appreciation gifts to over 70 faculty members and the staff at Britain Elementary. And so we need you to sign up for that outreach. And so we're going to be taking the day, taking some time to intentionally, we're going to be in the school giving out these gifts, these appreciation things, so that these teachers can know, hey, once again, these people love me. That's going to be at Britain Elementary. And you can sign up in your worship guide. So you can scan the little QR code on the back of your seat, or you can um, scan the thing that's on the screen behind me, the QR code on the screen behind me if you don't have it on your seat. Um, and you can also sign up in the North Lobby main four-year area. Does that sound okay? 
All right, housekeeping is done. Housekeeping is done. Now it's time for some preaching. You ready for some preaching this morning? Okay, it's not quite preaching time yet. Just making sure you're excited. So uh, I don't see him at the moment. I know he's here somewhere. We have a friend of ours who is here from Lake City, Florida. His name is Gatlin. Gatlin Burton. I don't know if you're here. I don't have my contacts in, so you have to wave at me, Gatlin, if you're here somewhere. Anyway, he is here with us. He came from Christ Central Church, Pastor Lonnie Johns' church. He came here to serve alongside our team today because we're working hard and we're working diligently to have the best, not just helps ministry, but the best service in our church as possible and the best volunteer teams as possible. And Gatlin is here to help us do that. And so I just want to recognize Gatlin, wherever you are, and say thank you for being here, Gatlin, to help lift up our arms, to help us accomplish the vision that God has given us. So we honor you, my friend, wherever you are. We're not done showing honor yet. Sorry, I feel like that the lights are right here on top of my eyebrows, and so I can just barely see the front row. Thank you, whoever just, I saw a little dimming happen just there. I want to say we are so honored to have her back in the house with us today. Pastor Kathy, wait, wait, don't rush it, don't rush it, don't rush it. The best things, you take your time, okay? Pastor Kathy, we love you. And it's not the same when you are not here. And I'm going to speak on behalf of our pastoral team. We are deeply honored that you trust us in such a way that you can go and take time to see to yourself, to let the Lord minister to you, to let him pour in some new wine, some, some fresh things into your heart, and for you to do what you need to do. We're so honored that you trust us to do that. But now here's what I want to say in return to you, is that it is not the same when you are not here. You're the lady of the house. You're the general of the house. And so I want to say on behalf of the pastoral team, and I know very confidently the members of this church, we are grateful and we are honored to have you back in the house today. So church, there you go. Can we show some honor to our senior pastor, Pastor Kathy Miller? We love you, Pastor Kathy. We love you. So I think my wife was trying to play a practical joke on me because Pastor Kathy had mentioned to Holly, hey, Holly, tell Jordan he's going to preach on Sunday. That was Monday or Tuesday that uh, Pastor Kathy said that. And uh, Holly told me Thursday night, oh, hey, you're preaching on Sunday. So all the times I've joked her and pranked her, I'm about to pay for it. So here's why I say that is that um, as I've been preparing the past couple of days, I want to say to the church and I want to say to Pastor Kathy as well how deeply grateful I am as an individual to be able to sit in this seat and in my mind when you're in this spot um, there for me it will always be there's an element that that's Bishop Tony Miller's pulpit and I've seen behind the scenes of how uh, dearly you and he protected that and valued that because it is a sacred thing to take the Lord's pulpit and to share his word and I, I'm deeply humbled, Pastor Kathy. Sometimes I wonder, like, what is she thinking, letting me up there and giving me a microphone? But she's always giving me a chance, and so I'm so grateful that you give me a chance. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we can open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. I'm not going to keep you long today. Thank you for bearing with me, but I think that there's some things that don't need to be left unsaid. I think there's some things that it, mean, it needs to be said. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Sarah's going to stay right there with me because I'm not going to take long this morning. So it says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. 
Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Thinking that Jesus was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his, speaking of Jesus's, understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49, Jesus replies and says, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 51, Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Love, absolutely love this story. So just before I begin, can, can you guys pray with me this morning? So this morning's going to require teamwork. I'm going to do my best. I need you to do your best. Is that okay? All right, so let's pray. Lord, we come humbly before you today. And Lord, I say it and I speak it for all to hear, for the walls to hear and the carpet to hear that you are the only thing that matters. And that, Lord, lest you be here, we're just making racket. And so, Lord, I ask that you be with us today. Lord, I ask that you use me as best you can. And Lord, I ask that you honor your word and the power therein. And that you'll take ancient words and pour fresh anointing on it and change lives right here, right now, today. Because God, we don't want to fight in armor that's not ours. And Lord, we don't want to rest on our laurels looking back at yesteryear admiring our forefathers and what they did for you whilst we sit and do nothing. Lord, we know that today is our day, that we are here for a purpose. And so, Lord, it is my heart cry today that you will draw us closer to that purpose that you have for us. I pray it in your mighty, precious name. Amen and amen. Now, I told you I'm not going to take long. So here's what that's going to mean. I'm not going to take two hours and try to like preach you there. You're going to have to just jump on it when I say it. Does that feel okay? My daddy would say like a hen on a June bug. June bugs are quick. And so when the hen sees that June bug, you got to right then. Okay? So here's something that we want to understand from this passage. Is that there was something unique about Jesus. He was not like all the other 12-year-old boys that were running around at the festival that year. Now, I do believe that Jesus was, in fact, a little boy. He probably loved to play. 
what they played, I don't know. Shepherd and sheep, I don't know what they played. But he played, I'm sure that he had fun. He probably, uh, he threw sand in people's eyes and he may have even wrestled around a little bit. But when he got near the temple and when he got near God's words, his holy sacred words, the scriptures and the prophecies, the stories of his father working throughout humanity, there was something, it was like a magnet. And it, there was something that, I believe it was this, it was deep crying out to deep. It was that untainted, unstained, unbent God nature, the life of God. God incarnate in the flesh in that little 12-year-old body. And when it got around the words who had been prophesying his own life, it just drew him. God drawing himself to himself. It's something that the word we might come up with for it today is magical. You can't explain it. There's something wonderful about that. That's why his mother cherished it in her heart because she recognized she was there that night. The angel came to her and said, hey, guess what, Mary? The Lord has picked you to execute his promise that he's been promising for thousands of years. And so she gives birth to this baby boy and he's growing up to 12 and she sees, hey, God's doing it. He's doing it because normal 12-year-old boys, you have to whip them to make them sit and listen to the scriptures. And this dude, he's left us for three days because all he wants to do is sit and talk about what God's up to. Now, what does that have to do with us? We have to be like Mary and Joseph and we have to get some understanding that Jesus, he is like us. He's a man. He's flesh. If you could see him today, he's a flesh man with holes in his hands and a hole in his side. He's a flesh man, but he's also something else entirely. He is God incarnate. So he is something totally else entirely. And here's what we have to remember is that he is alive and he is well and he is out there every day and he's up to something. And so what we can't do is what his parents did. Now, I've heard it teach that Jesus was such a perfectly behaved little boy that his parents wasn't even worried about him. It was not abnormal for them to have to go a whole day and not worry about him. I'm skeptical of that. Now, a dad, I could see some dads being like, I don't know, I ain't seen that boy in a day or two. He's all right. But now, I ain't never met a mama that her 12-year-old boy is missing for a day and she ain't wondering where he at. So here's what we have to learn from that short passage is we have to know we can't get distracted by the goings-on in our own lives. We can't just get distracted by the busyness of the caravan that's traveling. Now see, I'm telling you, hint on a June bug. You got to hear what I'm saying. We can't get distracted by the busyness of the caravan. We can't get distracted in the hype of the festival. We have to always be aware where's Jesus at. I was going to try and sit down now. We have to always be aware. Where is Jesus at? Because if He ain't with us, it is just a festival. It is just a caravan. Caravan and festival didn't ever change nobody. But see, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. 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 
Because when He's in the room, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Now see, you're trying to figure out what I mean by that. Anything is possible when He shows up. And so now I'm going to put it to you real straight. Do you know where He is? When was the last time you saw Him or talked to Him? Have you been going along with the caravan and with the festival? Has it been a day or three or 20 or three months? When was last you saw Him? When was the last time you beheld Him? When was the last time you listened to Him speak to you? Only you know the answer. But I'm asking you, do you know where Jesus is? Because without Him, it's just a festival. I don't come to point my finger at you today, and I certainly don't come to condemn you. I'm standing beside you saying, if you don't know where He is, let's go find Him. Let's go find Him. Let's go find Him. Well, we're going to have to go all the way back into town. What does it matter? Because without Him, nothing matters. Now see, I'm talking in metaphor, but I'm speaking about us directly. This is beautiful. And we've worked so hard to have these amazing things that we have. You know, Pastor Kathy, sometimes I'm amazed that I, I remember the church that I grew up in. It was very well done, but it was humble. And I remember we used to daydream about having sound systems that sounded like this and lights and color that looked like this. Because when I remember being a little boy and the heart of my parents and my grandparents was we want to express God's wonder in every way possible but we had limited means but look at how good God has been to us we've held on to this property God has helped us keep this campus despite much opposition he's faithful look at how good he's been but this don't mean nothing if he don't show up It don't mean nothing if he don't show up. And I was quiet, thank God. My daddy taught me when the smart people are talking, you be quiet, and that's how you get smart. And I can't tell you how much I've listened to Bishop and Pastor Kathy and their values and their heart cry. They have, we have, there's a mandate on this house to be excellent and to be intentional, to reach out, to go for the lost. There is a harvest. There, there is a mandate to do it. But the heart that drives that action is saying, we want Jesus. That He's more important than anything else. And so why am I saying this on Back to School Sunday? Because this is the marker. We're going into the fall season. We're going into the harvest season. So all the busyness of our lives, it is about to ramp up. Practices, school, band practice, etc. And what we cannot do is fall into the trap of being distracted by busyness. We must be, Gate Church, so intentional that if Jesus is not here, then it don't matter. Does that feel okay? 
Because here's another mandate that we have in this church. And you may say, well, you're being pretty bold, little man. Well, I am. But see, I've been listening to my pastor talk. And I've been listening to her talk about what the Lord is putting in her heart. And I've been remembering the words, prophetic words, that bishops have spoken over our house in many years and particularly last year. There's an instance that comes to my mind where we were filming one of our first COVID services. And so it was just the staff and the worship team in the building. We were doing things by video. And I remember the, the session was over and the cameras went off. But there was a thick presence in the room. And bishops started to prophesy about that there would be a new move of God come to America that we, have, my generation particularly, has not seen before. And that this church and this campus has a part to play in seeing that happen. I see, now see, here we're revealing ourselves right here. So my, my veteran saints who know what I'm talking about, they're amen in me already. And so I've come this morning to stir the pot just a little bit because, see, I was raised old school, but I'm going to tell you why I was so blessed in that is because I remember being a little boy sleeping on the pew because I was tired and ready to go home, but I remember the sound of what worship sounded like, and I remember what prayer sounds like, and I remember people, uh, one man dropped dead of a heart attack in the altar, and they weren't no ambulance to call. We're 35 minutes from Chateauque Regional. And so the saints got together and started praying, and it looked like a Holy Ghost mosh pit down there. Guess what? A man who had a heart attack, he got up and went home that night. There are things that we have not yet seen that God is up to. There are things that we have not seen yet, but God is saying, you better get ready. You better get ready. You better get ready. The scripture says that he set his face like a flint, that he was going to accomplish what his father sent him to accomplish. What I think is happening in the world today is we see fires and we see burning and we see all kinds of nonsense. Well, let me tell you what Jesus is doing. He has set his face like a flint and he's looking at us and saying, if you will get with me, I'm not going to be run out of town. I'm not going to be run out of your city. I'm not going to be run out of your nation because I am here to stay and I got the power and authority to make it happen, baby. You see, because when He is with us, anything is possible. Because I have watched Bishop and others when the anointing of the Holy Ghost come upon them and they look at people and they prophesy a future into that person's heart that they had not imagined for themselves. And all of a sudden, a spark, a spark, a spark. You may not know what I'm talking about. The scripture says it has not entered into the imagination or the heart of a man what God has in store for them that love him. There are things that he has for you that you can't even imagine. There's things that He wants to do in us that we have not envisioned yet. We can't get our heads around what He's up to, but it's in His mind and it's in His heart, and so it's as good as done. All we have to do is get on board. I'm not calling us to an old day. I'm calling us to a new day. Bishop always taught that God's principles never change, but His patterns do. 
That means that things may look a little different, but he's still in the same business that he's always been. He's in the business of turning the world upside down. Things that are crooked, he straightens them. Things that are broken, he mends it and makes it better than it was before. Things that are dead, he causes it to come back to life. Things that are not producing, he causes them to produce. That's what he does. And if you're like me and you may maybe have had low self-esteem problems for some time, you look in the mirror and you go, how in the world will God use us to facilitate something that is so epic and so grand as a move of God? And when I say those words, you imagine what I do. Buildings filled. Stand in room only. Cops out in the street having to organize traffic. Cars piled everywhere. Parking lot people just frustrated. Lord, what are we going to do with all of them? That's what you're imagining. That's what mine says. Wheelchairs laying, crutches laying. Man and wife who hadn't spoken in six weeks going home and holding each other and say, I don't know how, but I love you. That's what I imagine when I imagine a move of God. Young people being filled and speaking in tongues. Don't prod me. I grew up Church of God. I will speak in tongues right here just to show you that the Holy Ghost don't hide in the shadows. When I start imagining a move of God, that's what I start seeing because, see, I remember what I saw and I remember how He touched me. And I remember being 13-year-old and I said, God, fill me to overflowing with the Holy Ghost. And I remember shaking like a tree. I'm trying to stir your faith this morning. We serve a miraculous God that you can't get out your textbook and go one, two, three, four, A, B, C. You just say, God, I'm here to receive. Jesus is in the room. God, give me everything that you have. And next thing you know, and you say, that's crazy. That's wild. I don't care what you think it is, but when I pray in tongues now, I feel something stir up on the inside of me that I know I'm not the normal dude walking around. I'm different than those other guys. God's got something for me He wants me to do. When I imagine a move of God, these are the things that I imagine. But that's not how those things start. Will you hand me my special little kit there, Mr. Lewis? What are you talking about, little man? I'm going to show you. See, I didn't tell Pastor Kathy what I'm about to do because I don't know if she would have approved. So something the bishop taught me, Pastor Kathy, was that it's easier to give forgiveness than permission. I told you, when the smart people are talking, you be quiet and you'll be smart. The move of God's like a wildfire. It consumes everything in its path. People that they wake up on Monday, they don't know they're looking for Jesus. They go past you. They go past me in Walmart. They go past our campus and something saying, God's in there. But you know, wildfires don't start that way. They start like this. That sound effect is pretty nice. I wasn't planning on that, but I like it. It starts like this. 
Why does Jesus matter? Because He is the only one that can do that. He is the spark. What a move of God looks like is when Jesus is here. What a move of God looks like is not it on channel 9 that, hey, a dude got to have a wheelchair. A move of God looks like Jesus walking and sitting in the midst of His people. And when He comes and sits, there's a spark. There's a spark. And what was dead starts to come back to life. What do we do? We're like this. We're the tender. Now this was a little piece of twine. It's so small, my friends in the back can't see it. But now see, I don't use lighters because I'm from the Southern Highlands. And Pastor David, we keep the old ways. Pastor Jay accused me of being a yuppie last week. Now where I'm from, them there's fighting words. Yuppie. He's an easy target because he's not here. I was hoping he's going to be here. I've started many fires in the woods according to the old ways with a spark. And here's what I've learned. You're going to be more successful building your fire the smaller and more brittle your tinder is. So you don't start with logs. You start with something so small and so just my friends on the front, I'm going to stand in the front. Maybe the camera guys can get a tight shot of that. They're tiny little fibers, and you can see them. They're so small, they're breaking up in my hand. So you take something that's already kind of small, but you have to get it down even smaller to take a spark. Yes, ma'am. That is good preaching. Now, see, I told you, you're going to have to catch it this morning. Okay? I don't have enough time to, like, really get you there. Okay? So when we say, I'm going to be like tender, and I'm going to let God break me down real small into those most vulnerable parts. He's going to take his time. He's going to get it right where he wants it. See that right there? That's all dry and busted. That ain't good for nothing else except for one thing. And that's starting a fire. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I've felt like I'm not good for nothing. And God's saying, I've about got you right where I want you. That's how a forest fire starts. One little thing, one little ember. One little thing, one little ember. And it starts just like that. Lord, don't tell the fire marshal. That's my fire extinguisher right there. And this is a wet rag, just so you know. So you don't have to be afraid. It's going to be fine. Pastor David was calling Church Mutual. He had him on speed dial. You say, okay, you got me. I want to be a part of the big wildfire, and I know that he's going to start a spark in me, and then that's how the thing takes off. One person at a time, one family at a time. That's how a move of God starts. Okay, but what do we do? What do I need to do when I leave here? 
We have to be humble. We have to be humble. And sometimes I wonder if humility has been so difficult to preach about because there's so few preachers actually know what that means. So now let me help you. I've been as prideful as the next guy. But I did have the teaching that I would pray things like this from the time I was young. God, do something in me so that everybody knows you were the one who done it and not me. I've always been so drawn to the life of David because he would take the throne when God handed it to him and when it looked like somebody was going to take it away from him, he walked off and let him have it. And he said, if God wants me to go back and have my throne, he'll put me there. That's powerful. I've always wanted to be like that. But here's something I've learned. I didn't know if I knew what I was praying. When you start praying and believing God to do something in your life that only He can do, here's what starts to happen. He starts stripping away everything else that you got going on. So He'll take whatever it is that you use to get ahead in life, your gift, your talents. Guess what? He'll even put you in a position where your calling and where your anointing can't get you out of certain situations. The only thing that will get you out of some of that pit, the only thing that will get you out of the prison, the only thing that will get you out of that stuff is God coming down and saying, let me do this for you so that when you do go to the palace, when you do go to the throne, you will remember and you will know that it was me who got got you there so when I think about humility that's what I think about that we have to let God strip us down take away the varnish and the polish and your air Jordans and your cool haircut and he takes all that and says that there ain't gonna do it so when we want God to make us into tender something that'll catch a spark what you're signing up for is he's gonna whittle you down He's going to whittle you down. And so when he's cutting on you, when he's breaking you down, it's not fun, friend. And see, I see certain people shaking their head. They know what I'm talking about. It's not fun. And here's something else I've learned, Pastor Kathy, is that he always takes more than what you wanted him to. But see, Jesus is up to something. He's about his father's business. And we have to have him or all that stuff he's taking away don't mean nothing. So I have a few examples for you to try to help us catch it. There came a time where the people of Israel were held captive in Egypt. And what is so devastatingly ironic about this fact is that God had used their forefather to save that nation when it was in a bind. But fast forward the tape, and the Egyptians and the people of Israel forgot who saved who. And so the people of Israel look around one day, and they're slaves. You know, there's nothing more difficult than being a slave to a nation that you saved. I ain't got, I ain't got time for that. Could you imagine the bitterness? I have to admit, I've never been a slave. I haven't. I, I don't know that I can get my head around how breaking that would be, making bricks and having babies knowing that their future is going to be to make bricks 
to build buildings and to build an empire that I'll never enjoy the benefits of it. But see, God is up to something. And so here was God's answer to the problems in Egypt. Now, he could have went, so here's what we would have done. We want a Navy SEAL Team 6 stealth helicopter, super cool camo, night vision goggles. You look like a spider. We want God to send a raid right in to the top of Pharaoh's palace and assassinate that dude. That's not how God works. Do you know where God went? He, the Bible says, I have heard the prayers and the cries of my people and enough is enough. That's encouraging to me. And so here's where God goes. He goes to the son of a slave who was raised by royalty on the run for murder. Now I've looked at the map where Moses was being a shepherd, the middle of nowhere, okay? Makes Lawton look like Dubai. There ain't nothing out there. So Moses is keeping his father-in-law's sheep, and he sees a bush burning, but he notices that the bush ain't consumed. And here's a voice speak to him from the bush that says, Moses, Moses. And Moses changed the course of his life when he said, here I am. I know I'm not screaming, but I'm still preaching. He heard God say, Moses, Moses. And he turned away from his sheep. The Bible says explicitly, he turned away and said, here I am. And when I'm talking about humility, here's what I'm talking about. The voice we know was God spoke to him and said, Moses, don't just rush in here. You take them sandals off because the feet where you stand, the where you stand is holy ground. Do you want to know where holy ground is? Wherever he is. Holy ground is wherever he is. And so do you know what Moses had to do? He had to untie his sandals. And he had to go in there and get on his face. And he had a reckoning with Jehovah God. And Jehovah said, I know that you don't talk good. And I know that you're a fugitive from Egyptian justice. But you're just the man for the job. And he was scared and he bucked a little. It says that God got a little ticked off with him. And when he said, God, well, who do I tell him sent me when you do all these things that you're going to do? He said, you tell them I am sent you. We have to be like Moses. And when you hear that voice, when you hear that call, that says, come in here with me. Come in here in this cave with me. You say, here I am. Here I am. Because guess what? Now, I'm not saying that he won't. But I don't know that God's looking at Washington, D.C. saying, right in there's the one I'm going to use. Because if he follows his biblical pattern, he's looking at people who are lawbreakers and on the run and criminals and overlooked and beat down and forgot about. And he's looking at them way out in hiding in the middle of nowhere. And he's saying, Moses, 
humility says, I'll go in that cave even when everything I'm looking at don't make sense. These sheep need water. They need food. Don't worry about the sheep because I'm trying to save a nation. If my band will come, and I was told to give heads up for our kids and students. We're going to get them ready. We're going to pray together. The scripture says, you know, Moses is like, how are we going to do this? The scripture says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If we want to move of God so that we can be famous, might not have it. But when we cry out and say, Jesus, I need you. He gives us grace. There's a story about the man at the pool of Bethesda. And I don't know if you're familiar with this story. Sometimes it's obscure. There was a sacred pool in the city of Jerusalem. And it was like a, what you might imagine, like a, almost like a Roman bathhouse. It was an outdoor pool that was done with tile and stone. And it was sacred in this sense that the Bible says at a certain time an angel would come down and disturb the water. And that was a sign to whoever was sitting around near that, hey, the first one in the water will be healed of whatever their ailment is. And so if you were handicapped or devastatingly sick, that maybe was your only hope at getting up from that problem. And so Jesus is walking around one day. The Bible says there was a great multitude of people at that pool of Bethesda. There are a lot of sick people. But only one's getting healed at a time. And Jesus looks at this one man, and the Scripture says, Jesus looked at him and knew he has been in that condition for a long time. And he says, Do you, Jesus says to the man that's, uh, we assume he's crippled just of what he says next, he says, do you not want to be healed? And the man says, hear it, Lord. Lord, every time I go to get in the water, when the angel disturbs it, someone beats me to it. And so I get to the edge sometimes, and then some other guy who he's got like the flu, he's cannonballing in there, and I've been here for years fighting this problem. I'm preaching if you hear it. I've been here, I've been stuck here for years. He said, well, do you want to be healed? He said, well, yeah. Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. The scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want God to make you into tender so he can give you a spark that will get you out of that rut that you have been stuck in for so long? Being poor in spirit is not a condition that you magically find yourself in. Being poor in spirit is you recognizing what you really are. It's a choice that you can make to be honest about yourself. So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, here's what he's saying. Every one of y'all are poor in spirit in actuality, but the people who will see the kingdom of heaven who will say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm poor in spirit. Come to me. Lord, I can't do it without you. And that man learned that day that the angels can trouble the water and other people have been beating you to the punch for so long. And you've been wondering, how come they always get ahead of me? Why am I always left behind? All you have to do is look at Jesus and say, 
Yes, I'll receive what you have for me. And then he looks and says, get up. Because when he's in the room and he says, get up, you can get up. My final example is this, and we're going to pray together. The scripture says in the Old Testament that the age of judges was over. There was a time in Israel where how God governed, protected, cared, and led for His people was that He raised up heroes. And these people did tremendous things. Some He used through wisdom, and others He used through boldness. But that time, that pattern, that way of doing it had come to an end. And so the nation, the scripture says very plainly, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Let me help you. That description there, that is called hell. Hell is when there's nobody in charge and you get to do exactly what you want, when you want. That'll feel good for about three days and then you're going to look around and you'll realize I'm living in hell. I have made a hell for myself. So now you have to do a bit of connecting the dots here, but in the scriptures it lays out this. The age of judges was over. There's no king. No one to lead the people. But here's also a problem. The temple... The tribe of Levi, the priesthood was in shambles because a corrupt priest named Eli and his sons were at the helm. And just trust me, I don't have time. These were some rotten dudes. They were real rascals. And so they were stealing. They had no regard, the scripture says, for God's ways. And that they were openly fornicating and sleeping with women who had they, there was a, their proper time and place to be there. They were taking advantage of women who were coming to serve in God's house. So here's the picture. The dudes who were supposed to be leading the church were the ones profiteering from it. So there's no government. And the house of God was in, array, was in disarray because even those guys are corrupt. It's not a good day. But do you want to know what God does? There was this woman named Hannah. And she could not have a child. And the scripture says that she was mocked and ridiculed by her other, the other wives that her husband shared with her. She's mocked and ridiculed by people who are supposed to be her family. And everyone in her town looked at her and said, She's barren. Anytime you said Hannah, the thought that popped into your mind was she's barren. She's not producing nothing. And here's what Hannah did one night. She had had all that she could take. And she made the best decision that she has ever made. Because the Lord was teaching her that your husband, even though he's a good man, there are some things he can't do for you. Remember I said he strips everything away. And so Hannah finds herself in the temple one night and she's so broken. She's crying out before the Lord and she says, God, if you will just give me a son, I will give him back to you. See, she wanted a son 
but God needed a prophet. And so he looked at one busted woman that everybody else was running over and ignoring. She's pouring out her pain in the middle of the night. And here's how corrupt the priesthood was. The head priest, the high priest, looks at her and he does not recognize what's going on in her. He thinks that she's drunk. So what I'm imagining is that he thought he saw his problem in her. And so he just he literally runs her out and says, Okay, well God will give you what you want, go on. She goes home, don't feel nothing, don't see nothing, there's no tingle, no lightning strike on the bush out by the front door. But she looks around a few weeks later, she's pregnant. Because God brings new life out of places that are dead and barren. And so she wanted a son. She had no way of knowing that her son would be the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel was, I could argue, the prophet that God used to adjust, to set in order the Lord's house and the government, the nation of Israel. He set it in order and got it pointed in the right direction. And the scripture says this about Samuel, that not one word that he spoke ever fell to the ground. It's implied that God would not let it fall to the ground. You say, what in the world does that have to do with us? If we want to give birth to prophets, we might need to find ourselves in the altar weeping and saying, God, I'm barren because I've been doing the festival, I've been doing the carnival, I've been doing my own thing, but it ain't producing nothing. And God, if you don't come down and get in the middle of my life, then there ain't nothing going to happen. I believe this. I believe that what I have just described to you, that is the beginning of the next move of God in our nation. And that I don't believe that God goes to begin with the top tiers of influence in society. He always starts with people who are not qualified and who are busted and who are hurt and that they are broken. And the world looks and says, you are good for nothing. But see, I've learned something is that everybody has a story and that everybody has their own unique form of brokenness. You might have $10 in the bank or you might have $10 billion. It's not the issue. The issue is, are you willing to get a hold of an altar? Are you willing to go into a place where people are going to look at you and they're not going to understand why you're crying out? They're not going to understand why you're talking to a burning bush. They're not going to understand why, why you're talking to this normal-looking dude at the pool of Bethesda. They're not going to understand. But you have to know because of your own story, your own heart that's crying out saying, Jesus, if I don't have you, my life is not going to amount to a hill of beans. If you are willing to do that, he will come down and he will take the broken places and he will take the dead places and he puts a spark on it. He puts a spark on it. He puts a spark on it. I have found myself in despair and I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. And sometimes I just sit. God, I got to have you. I got to have you. Is it making sense?
I've changed my tone on purpose because I did not want us to respond out of Pentecostal programming when we hear things that we like to hear. I am serious. I do believe that God is using us and using this house and He's using especially our senior pastor to give voice to, to make the sound that's going to connect the generations, that's going to connect the races and the genders so that God can birth what it is that He's trying to birth here in Oklahoma City. The first step that we have to take is to humble ourselves and realize that if Jesus does not come down and be in the midst of us, guess what? When the move starts happening, we won't have a problem getting men of God to come and speak and preach and guys that will lead worship. Trust me, all that will happen. But what will have to happen first is we'll have to look at each other, that you've made me mad, I've made you mad, you've seen me sin, I've seen you sin, and we've seen all of our stuff, and we will have to come together under our leader and say, when the call goes up, for prayer, I'm going to prayer. Soccer practice. Move of God or soccer trophy? The best thing that my parents ever did for me was not help me stack the shelves of my bedroom with baseball trophies. The best thing that my parents ever did for me was drag me kicking and screaming to the house of God. And they said, you may be mad as far, old boy, but you're going to sit right here while we worship and while we pray because we're crying out for a move of God. And so when my life went kaput and my tank was empty, I knew just enough to know this that it ain't never too late for God. And if you will get on your face and say, yes, I have sinned, I am a mess, but God loves people who are in a mess. God, you can put life back in me. You can put life back in my marriage. You can fix all the mess I've made. You can take people who were my enemies and make a table for me in their presence. He can do it. So here's what we want to do. It's back to school. We're going to speak a blessing over our students. Over if you are a, so our students are going to go ahead and come on out. If you are a teacher or you work in a school, you're administrating a school, anything to do with education, you may be the sports medicine guy for the football team. We still want to pray for you. If you have anything to do with education, shaping the lives of of future generations. We want to pray for you today. The pastoral team is going to join me and help us pray. Look at all this heavenly potential right here walking out in front of me. That's okay. Go ahead. We love you guys. It's okay. You guys just keep working your way in. I don't have my contacts. I can't see you. Okay. If there are any children who are sitting with their parents, mama, you can, mama, daddy, you can come on down with them. Grandma, you can come right on down with them. And we're going to pray over everybody together as families. So if you're a teacher and you're in the room, we want you to come down. As school staff, administration, we want you to come down. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to put a mic in your face or make you say anything. We want to pray for you. 
and believe that God is going to be with us this year, that Jesus is going to be in our midst this year. Yeah, middle school, high school, college. You may be an adult learner. We're going to pray for you. Any kind of education that you're growing, you're maturing, you're developing yourself. I love it. I love it. I love it. I wish you all could see what I see. Okay, so Gate Church, if you will help me, if you're in the seats with me, would you just stand to your feet with me? We're going to pray. If you'll extend your hands this way. Yes, ma'am. All right, softly, softly. Church, let's pray together. I'm going to pray. You don't know what to pray. You pray with me. You pray what I pray. But we're all going to pray together. This right here is our, the future of our church and our community. So we're going to lift them up before the Lord. So here we go. Lord, we come before you today as the leadership, Lord, of this church, the leadership of our community as adults. And Lord, we lift up these precious students to you of all ages, of all races, of all genders. Lord, we lift these students up to you. And Lord, we speak over them and we say that you are blessed in Jesus' name. We call you blessed We call you blessed. And Lord, we pray this, that your presence will be with each student from the youngest to the oldest, that your presence will be with each student every single day and that they will not be alone, that they do not have to be afraid or intimidated, that Lord, you are using education as a venue, as a conduit to shape them and mold them into the people that you have designed and called them to be. And so we as the Gate Church, help me church, we call up God's potential out of you. We say you will be the men and women of God that He has designed you to be. We plead the blood of Jesus over you and we speak a hedge of supernatural protection around you that God will keep you. He will protect you. That you will not be in danger. That you will not be preyed upon. That you will not be intimidated because God will go before you and He will be behind you. He's going to keep you this year. Holy Spirit, the Word says that you are the teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray over each student that you will supernaturally help them to learn. That you'll connect them with the right teachers, mentors, and coaches to help them to learn in the way that you have designed them to learn. And we say that no student will be left behind. No student will be overlooked. Because we say, Lord, that your eye is on them and your hand is on them and that you will arrange what you need to arrange for them to be cared for and educated and to be brought up. Not only understanding your creation, but understanding your ways. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. And so, church, I need you to help me here. Lord, we lift up teachers, administrators, coaches, mentors. Lord, we lift them up to you. We lift them up. We get under them. We're pushing them up and we're saying, Lord, let your hand rest upon them. Lord, let your voice speak to their heart that, Lord, you are using them as a supernatural tool to shape and to mold the future. 
the future, the future, that, Lord, you will use them and that, Lord, even when things are difficult, even when things are tough, Lord, I pray that you give them grace for the long haul, that you give them grace to deal with governments and laws and administration, things that might be challenging, but Lord, you will grace them to work within their system. And Lord, I say this to over all the teachers and coaches and mentors, that Lord, you will use them to shine a light into a dark world. And that, Lord, while they're teaching mathematics, they'll do so under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And while they're teaching football and athletics and sociology and economics, that, Lord, while they're teaching, that they'll do so under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because they're not just some average teacher walking around. They are a blood-bought, spirit-filled, disciple, servant of the living God, sent to change the future of our city. So, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. In precious name. Okay, so here's what we want to do, church. We're going to dismiss all of our young students. If your child was in kids' church, you will still pick them up in the normal spot in the back hallway. So we're going to take them back to our to their classrooms, and we will process them back to you just like we normally do. This right here is why we need teachers. This right here is why we need teachers.